0: your Bibles and something to take some notes with. Uh, We are in part two of our series, Back to the Basics. Uh, We are actually in 21 Days of Prayer, and so uh, I wanted to kind of I wanted to alleviate, because we're doing it a little differently maybe than we've done it in years past, and there's some confusion about, well, where do I need to be, and what do I need to be doing, and which week, so let me just kind of clear up a few things with this. Uh, first thing, if you have not fasted ever before, and this is like the first time you're even hearing the words, go ahead and watch the last week's message, all right, jump online, if you want to put in headphones in here, I don't care, just go ahead and watch last week's, some practical information about what the fast actually looks like, because we take two times throughout the year to pray, in January and in August, we pray all throughout the year, but these are targeted moments where we say, okay, we're going to get back to a little bit of the basics. We're going to get back to our focus on prayer. And so in January, we pray and we add fasting to it. This fasting is this beautiful discipline of silencing the world. Because listen, there are so many voices that would love to crowd out what God wants to say. So many voices that would love to take the time of your study in His Word. So many voices that would love to take the time of your prayer time and your spiritual life. They would love to fill in all of the gaps. And so we take these moments to get some disciplines back into our life. And fasting is the quickest way I know of to silence the voice of the world. And then prayer connects us to the voice of God. It's why we join the two together. Fasting is saying no in your body or in your soul to these things that maybe have too much of a grip on you. I had a couple of people text me this week that like they were like, I I think I picked the wrong thing in fasting because like it's all I think about. It's all I crave. And I hate this so much. And I was like, I think you picked the right thing in fasting. I'm pretty sure you picked the right thing to give up because fasting helps silence those things that just have a hold on you. This have a hold. I heard one time a pastor, a pastor I was here preach he said, I gave up bananas. For some reason, he loved bananas. And he's like, I just gave them up. I'm not going to eat any more of that. Banana. No banana is going to be the master of me. I'm just no banana. And first thing I thought was, you are bananas. I think you are just a little. But then I thought about it. it's anything that has a hold. It's not bananas for me. It's something else. It's not bananas for me. It might be some, whatever has a hold on your life. Probably a good idea to fast it. Probably a good idea. Now, if you have not... Jumped into anything. I want to speak to a couple of groups. One, if you jumped into this thing with like some lofty goals last week, you got enthused. And you set all of these goals, and then like you failed by day two. So you're like, I'm not eating any takeout. I'm not going anywhere. Fast food, nothing. And like Tuesday, you're like, got a you know ski mask on, going through Taco Bell drive-through. If that's you, like, or you're like no processed food, and you ate pizza every day this week, and you just do. Listen, there is forgiveness. God still loves you, and so do we. All right, don't get into self condemnation because you failed the first week. I'm just just throwing this out. It might not be. You're all super spiritual, but just throwing it out there. If you screwed it up. Last week is last week. Today is a great day to start the fast. There's still a lot of great things. God can lead you in what you should give up for these two. If you haven't heard anything about it, you can still jump in. Two weeks is a long time to fast, so you can still begin to give up some things. We'd love to have you take this journey with us. And then, of course, we're joining that with prayer. And so this first week, this last week, we have been in person six to seven every night. Weeks two and week three, you're now putting this into practice, So 6 to 7, we did this to kind of jumpstart it where we're all together. And now 6 to 7, there should be. Now, it might not be 6 to 7 in your schedule. I don't know uh, when you want to set aside. But there should be daily times of targeted prayer. You should be setting aside. This is how we get this back into our lives. It's not like a one and done, I did it for January and now my whole year is set. This is how we work it back into our lives. We silence the world. We seek the face of God. It's not some super spiritual, it's not like you can't understand, you know, the great and lofty, and I'm speaking in Latin. This is like we silence the things that are taking our time and are shouting so loud, and then we listen to the voice of God. It's, It's what we do as a church. And so join us in the spiritual battle, honestly, because I believe it matters. I really do. I I believe that it's amazing that we can come together on the weekends. I think it's amazing that I get to preach. It's awesome. My, My messages just change lives and do all these amazing, amazing things. But listen to me. Your personal life, what you do in your personal walk with the Lord is paramount. I believe that's how we change the world as a church. That each one of us going after God with everything we have... The local church. We are the hope of the world. That we have the gospel to preach. And it starts with us having a relationship. So you want to get back on track. You're like, hey, some things are out of order. Start today. Man, fasting to silence the world. Prayer to get it in our lives because it matters. Amen, everybody? I'll amen myself. Amen, Pastor. That sounds good. That's a good thing. <laughs> today I want to talk about part two of our series. So this is back to the basics. Last week we talked about focus. Focus. I thought about what would be the most basic thing we could put into practice, and it was just, what are we focusing on? And I gave you guys some things, right? I gave you four different things, and I told you, just pick one. Just pick one, because you can't do all of them, but pick one to focus on this year. One area of your spiritual life you wanted to to join in, one area, whatever it was. I was like, hey, just pick something and focus on that. Today, I want to talk to you about your thoughts, so if we talked about our focus, how God would bring some clarity and vision to our families or our careers, uh, or maybe your life and your spiritual walk. Today, I want to talk about thoughts. If we're getting back to the basics, if you're going to live the life God called you to live, it begins at a thought level. It begins at our thoughts because your beliefs are driving your behavior. In fact, it says this in Proverbs. Watch this. I want to kind of build from this verse. It says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Be careful what you think because your thoughts are running your entire life. Another translation, out of your heart come all your reactions. All of your heart come out of your thoughts and those things that you're doing. Be careful what you think because your thoughts are running your life. What you are thinking about, what you are focused on is determining the trajectory of your life. In fact, jot it down this way if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, just kind of jot this down on a piece of paper. The course of your life is being driven by your thoughts. If we actually... Because we think this sometimes. We're like, okay, that's a nice thought. And we go about our day. But the Bible says the course of your life... They run your entire life. So be careful about the things that you are thinking about. The course of your life is being driven by your thoughts. Now, I'm not talking self-help here, all right? Before you tune me out and think this is just like another $2 book you buy at Goodwill. This is not self-help where if you can just think it, then you can become it. And if you can just think it, then it will materialize. And there'll be a million dollars waiting on your kitchen floor when you get home. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this spiritual principle that the thoughts that we are thinking... The idea of the thoughts, everything that happens right here is actually directing the course of our life. Because I promise you, your thoughts are influencing your belief system. They are 100% influencing the lens that you see the world through. And the things that you believe, it all begins right here. And so the way that you see the world and the lens through which you see God are 100% determined by your thoughts. The way that you're seeing it, and that will then affect your actions, which will determine the course of your life. It all begins with your thoughts. And it's determining the course of your life. So I would submit to you, everybody, this simple idea. That it's time to think about what we think about. It's time to give a little bit of effort. If last week we gave the effort to what am I going to focus on for 2024? What's the area of my life that God wants to change? For this second week of the series, it's time to think about what we think about. It's probably going to be the simplest message I preach all year. I'll just get it out of the way here at the beginning. But I promise you, this one can change your life. This can change the way that we walk, the way that we hold ourselves, and the way that we see the world and our relationship with God. It's time to give a little bit of energy to our thoughts. Because everything in life begins with a thought. And unfortunately, in culture, many of us are programmed to see life through the lens of either a a moment or a circumstance that happened to us and then discolors everything else that we see. Honestly, it's why the devil tries to attack us when we're so young. It's why there's such an attack on the young generation and those that are growing up right now. And my heart just breaks, not only for my own kids, but for all of the generation that the devil is working overtime to destroy them because that's how he affects the lens through which you see God. That some of us have lived our lives and all you do is see the world and you think through this lens of abuse or abandonment or betrayal. It's why the devil attacks us when we're young, because he wants to mess up the foundational way we see the world. Because our lives are being driven, the course of your life, driven by your thoughts. And it happens throughout our entire lives. Let me give you a couple examples. Like, Let's say... And I was just trying to think through this. Let's say uh, that you're, uh, you know, you're Friday night. You're, you're out and, uh, I don't know, you're at home and you're thinking you're single and you want to like think, hey, I'm kind of bored. so I want to kick it with some friends. I'd like to go out and, you know, just kind of hang out. Let's just see how our thoughts kind of play out. So you're like, hey, I want to hang out with some friends. I got a bunch of friends. I'll call one of them. So you call them and they don't answer. You know, that's cool. I got other friends, right? I'll just call I'll call somebody else. I go call another, another friend. So you call another friend, and they don't answer. And now your thoughts are going somewhere else, and the devil starts whispering in your ear. You know, the reason they're not answering is because they saw your name on their phone, and they don't want to answer your call. And they don't want to answer your call because they're already out, and they're actually together, and they didn't want to invite you. Come on, somebody. They're probably out there having fun right now. They're doing all the things you wanted to do, and they didn't want you to. In fact, they didn't invite you because they don't like you. And they don't even, it's not because they don't like you. They actually, you're so annoying that they hate you and they never want you to come out with them. And they're going to go and tell everybody else how terrible you are. And they're going to ruin all of your other relationships. And they're going to make sure nobody's ever friends with you. And you are going to die alone. Some of you are like, how does he know? That's real. That's what, how does, or how about this one? Some of you, you get like a missed call from your boss. And you're like, why are they calling me? They never call me. Like, why are they calling? Why are they? Why are they? And why didn't they leave a message? If it was good, they would have left a message. Come on, somebody. Like, it's like, why why are they? Why are they? It's obviously bad because they didn't leave a message. And if they had left a message, then I would have known what it was about. And I knew, I knew I saw people whispering around the water cooler. And I knew that they never liked. I thought I turned in the report, but they'd never liked me. And so I knew they had it out for me. And I'm probably the first person. Those downsizing they talked about. I am probably at the top of the list. That's what I just know, that this is the end. And I'm not, I'm going to get fired. And I'm not only going to get fired, the whole industry is going to tank. And the company is going to go under. And the stock market is going to crash. And I'm always going to be broke. And I will die alone. Or here's a good one. Ladies, you text your boyfriend or your husband and he does not text you back in 30 seconds. That's it. He's dead to me. We're done. That's it. He never cared about this relationship. He never put in the work that I put in there. My mother said he would do this. She said he would. I know my friends were so right about him. He has never cared for me the way I cared for him. He will never text. In fact, this is not only the end of this relationship. I will never put the work in in any other relationship because this is the end of it all. I will always be this way and I will die alone. That's real. I don't care what you say. (laughs) Oh, wait, never mind. There he is. Never mind. Never mind. (laughs) All is well, never mind. <laughs> Every one of us have had these moments where we let our thoughts run crazy and we let them build and circle back on themselves and build and circle back on themselves. And we get ourselves about 30 minutes in, in the craziest places imaginable. Why? Because our thoughts are running our life. Everything began with a thought and now we have let them go. If they, today we have to learn what's happening when those thoughts go out of control. We have to learn what's happening. Watch this in Romans chapter 12. we got to understand what happens, what's taking place, and how to fight back. I promise you we will never enter the fight we're supposed to be in. Because we'll just let this thing circle and spiral out of control all these times. Watch this in Romans chapter 12. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Why would he say that? Two things. One, because we do. He's warning us because it's something that we do. So don't get off your high and mighty horse. This is something that we do. But second thing is, because they don't have anything figured out anyway. And so Paul right, He's saying, hey, don't copy behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by doing one thing, by changing the way that you think. Let God transform you. Some of you have never had him transform your mind to change the way that you think. Why? Because the course of your life is being driven by your thoughts. The things that we think being driven by your thoughts. So 2 Corinthians, that's why we have to have the truth of God's word in here. Changing the way that you think. If God can change your perspective. Let's actually stay in Romans for a second. Back in there, he says, then you'll learn something. So God's going to change the way that you see the world. He's going to change your thought patterns. He's going to change the way, your lens that you're seeing everything through. Why? So that then you'll actually have some clarity. We talked about this last week. Our focus, our clarity, our vision. We want to know what God wants to do in our lives. We want to know how he's at work in the world. We want to be a part of it. It happens by letting him change the way that you think. So you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Somebody needs to jot that down, like in your Bible. Some of you have forgotten that God's will for you is good and pleasing and perfect. We forget that his will is good and pleasing and perfect. And our emotions and the devil work overtime to try to get us to not believe that. To try to get us in every other place we can but right here where it says we understand God's will for our lives. It's why we have to have the truth of his word in our hearts. God wants to change your entire life by changing what happens right here. By changing the way that we think. Why? Because the course of your life is being driven by your thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul addresses this idea of spiritual warfare. Now that sounds like a really deep topic, spiritual warfare, where there's like, I'm going to hand out binders and we're going to have like an eight week, whatever thing. It's actually a very simple topic that I think has just gotten skewed so many different directions. But I want you to see, it's actually really simple. This idea of spiritual warfare, you are in a battle every day of your life. And very simple to win the battle. We just have to see what's happening. We're going to spend the rest of our time out of this little passage. So I want to read it first and then we'll come back and study. But it says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is spiritual warfare. This is what he's talking about, that we don't have the weapons of this world. We go back to verse 3 here at the top. He says, we live in the world, but we don't wage war like the world does. So I'm no English expert, all right? I, actually, my grammar suffers quite terribly uh, from time to time. You speak for a living and it just, your grammar goes right out the window. Because you just, I don't know, it's just a thing of it. But I know enough English to understand the implication of this verse. That this verse is implying that we are all at war. He didn't say, for we, though we live in the world, we're not actually at war. He doesn't say, though we live in the world, there's not actually a battle. It's not for you, it's for the rest of the people. He said, though we live in the world, we don't wage the world like the war as the world does. So he's saying we're not waging war like them, but he is implying we are all in a war. The meaning of this is we are all in a battle. And I think the first thing we have to recognize is that we are actually in a battle. There is a battle that rages every day for your thoughts. There is a battle every day that is waging for all of us are in a fight of some kind. you ever been in a fight and not realized you were in it? Like you ever been... (laughs) Husbands, be honest this morning. Come on, be be honest. They, you ever been like this morning, like just thinking like, are we fighting? Like, are we actually, is this, I had no idea. I had no idea. That's funny. I don't care what you say. That's what <laughs> the, the implications we are all in a war. And oftentimes we are losing the battle for our lives and for our families and for our careers and for our relationships. We are losing the battle because we don't even realize that we're in a war. And so we just go ahead and lose the battle just on the outset because we don't even realize there is one. We're not even fighting. First step, we just got to identify we are in a war for control of our thoughts. We are in a war for control of our thoughts. Every day there is a battleground in your mind for control of what you are going to think because your life is following the course of your thoughts. It is driving your thoughts. Every thought then turns into an action. It is determining the course of your life. And if we don't see the battle, we will lose it every time. If we don't understand that we are in a battle. So when it talks about spiritual warfare, it takes place in the mind. It is spiritual battles and spiritual warfare. He says this isn't one where we're in a battle. He's saying we do wage war. But what we're talking about are these thoughts and these ideas that try to set themselves up against the knowledge of God. That try to fight against us. Now, St. Corinthians chapter 2 says, Paul says, I don't want Satan to outwit us. After all, we are not ignorant about or we should not be ignorant about Satan's scheming. Here's the problem, everybody. I think, and myself included, I think there are so many times, more times than there ever should be, that Satan does outwit us. Because he has been doing this for generation after generation. This, and the sad part about this is he does not have a new strategy. It's not like he thought of something that would only apply to our generation right now. He doesn't have a new strategy. He uses the same one over and over. What he has done, he has done for thousands of years. Now, what we have on our side is the victory of the cross. There is victory. He is a defeated foe. What he has on his side is he has been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. And we are fairly new at this comparatively. And so we allow ourselves to get sucked into the lies and the confusion. We have to understand the truth of God's word so we aren't outsmarted. This is what Paul is writing. I don't want him to outwit us. After all, we're not ignorant about his schemes. We've got to understand the truth of God's word so we don't fall victim and lose the battle before we even enter into it. Now, listen to me very clearly. The victory was won at the cross of Calvary. Jesus took back the keys of hell, sin, death, and the grave. He won the victory. The devil is a defeated foe. The Bible talks about Jesus not only won the victory, he took all of the spiritual darkness, took the devil on a parade through the spirit realm, made a fool of him, and had him lay all his weapons down at the foot of the cross. He is a defeated foe. Yeah, praise God for all four of us who are excited about that. Yeah, that's amazing. He's a defeat. He has no power over your life. There is nothing he can do. So the only way, the only way the devil is able to defeat you is by getting you to beat yourself. By getting you to trick yourself into self-defeating and getting you to give over control of your thoughts and control of your life because he is a defeated foe. He has no power over you. I don't care what anybody's ever tried to sell you. I don't care what bead they cost $100 they want. The devil has no power over your life. The devil has no control and no power over you. If you are a bought son or daughter of Christ, that his blood has washed you clean, the victory was won at the cross. He has no power over your life. And so the only way he tries to do it is to trick you, to outwit us into beating ourselves, into trying to leave these things behind, into trying to give up the truth of God's word. And so the only way that he's able to try to infiltrate, the only way he's able to work on us is what we see in culture around us. And that is confusion and lies. Chapter 8 out of John, Jesus said it this way. He said, when he speaks, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He's lying. He's speaking his native language. He's the father. He invented lying. And so he's pretty good at everybody. And if you've ever heard anybody who's really good at lying, they always mix a little bit of truth. So you're not able to tell the difference between the lie and what is actually true. You see this when the devil comes to try to tempt Jesus. Where he tries to mix in even verses in God's word to try to make it twist it." To look like truth. You see this all throughout scripture. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. You got Eve having this conversation with the serpent. And the serpent comes to her, and he's like, okay, you should eat of the fruit. And he comes to and he's like, okay, you'll, you'll have the knowledge of good and evil. That was true. Your eyes will be open to see good and evil. That was true. You'll be more like God in this regard. This will be something that makes you more like... That was a form of truth. But it didn't bring intimacy with God. It brought death. It brought this separation from him. It didn't bring what you would actually think it would bring. This actually closer fellowship with the Lord. the serpent said, you won't surely die. That was a lie. You should eat of the truth. That was a lie. You should stay as far away as you can from it. And then you see Eve begin in this conversation. Some truth, some lies, some things get confused. And then that led to actions. Confusion that then led to sinful action. It's the same trick that he's trying to play in our lives today, that he's the father of lies, that he would come in our thought patterns. And the thing that's so fascinating to me is we are so simple-minded, myself included, that we fall for it over and over again. Not just us, generation after generation, civilization after civilization. You go to any civilization and you begin to look at the rise and the fall and you see at the end how it gave way to perversion or to chaos or to this idea of we have surpassed the morals and the goodness of any kind of God. We have evolved beyond that. Always ends in perversion and destruction. Just history. And we see this cycle, we fall again and again. Why? Because people fall for the lies of the devil. He's really good at what he does. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I would never fall for it, because it just always it's never the obvious apparent thing. It's always the thing that would work for our life. The lie that works for me doesn't work for you. The lie that works for somebody else doesn't work for you. But somehow we keep falling for it. And we're losing the battle. Because we can't see who God is, and we can't see who we are. We don't have the truth of God's Word. I'll show you an example. There's a hundred of them in the Bible. I thought about going to, like, Elijah in the Old Testament. A lot of places where people who are incredible people of God They fall into this cycle where they believe the sinful thoughts, they believe the lies about their lives, and they give up. But I want to go to one example. This is Gideon. Gideon's a guy in Judges, in the children of Israel back then. So this, just to kind of set up the story for you, there's this cycle that happens to the children of Israel. And so they would be following God, and everything is great, and they're going after Him with all their heart, and God is answering, and He's leading them, and there's this thing, all this thing that happened. And it's somewhere along the way, they move out of that And they fall away and they get into like perversion and bring in the idols. And so God brings in an outside nation to conquer them as a consequence of their sin. Brings it in to conquer them, and they go back in, and then they cry out to the Lord, and there's this cycle that happens all over again. And then he rescues them, and the judges rise up, and they think, so we're in this cycle. I don't even know how many times they've been through this cycle at this point, but we're in that, in Judges. And this guy, Gideon, here's the one that the Lord visits while they're being conquered. They're under the nation of Midian. The Midianites have conquered their slaves, and they're hiding, and Gideon's hiding in a cave, trying to do some stuff for his day. He's doing all this stuff, and the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And watch this chapter six appeared to him and he said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, if you had a picture of this, if I could put a picture up on the screen, this is the last statement you would make. This is the conquered nation of Israel. They are slaves to the Midianites. Gideon is hiding because he thinks he's going to have the stuff he's taken away from him. He's hiding in this place. And the Lord appears, the angel appears and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. This is truth. This is the truth of God's word. Now, the circumstances of Gideon, the picture I would show you of what it actually looked like that that angel was seeing looks nothing like what the angel was saying, but it's the truth of God's word. So he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. His power is with you. God has chosen you. And Gideon's response, watch this. You can see the devil at work in his life. Sir, Gideon replied. I love that he stays like, even though he's about to deny what God said, I love that he stays polite. It's just amazing to me. I don't know what this is. Like, I would rather people be impolite and trust the word of the Lord. That's just my own personal thing. All right, so, Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You see Gideon struggling with this thought. That all of us have wrestled with at some point in our lives. If God is with us, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? See, it's the lie that Gideon's struggling with is the lie that so many of us have wrestled. If God is all loving, then why did this happen? If God is really there, then why did I go through the pain? If God really wants me to set out and conquer for the kingdom, if he really wants me to be a part of what he's doing, then why did I have that setback? I, I don't understand, so I reject your truth. It's not my truth. It's not matching up. The thing that you're saying isn't matching up with my circumstance. he is saying, sir, if the Lord is with us, and you might not ever say it out loud, but all of us have wrestled with this. If God is with us, then why did this happen? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't, didn't they say? Didn't they say that the Lord has brought us out of Egypt? But now God has abandoned us And handed us over to the Midianites. And I would just interject here. The first one I'm with getting. We have all wrestled with those things. But watch what this part of this is hilarious to me. But now the Lord has abandoned and handed us over. Because from time unending. It's just amazing to me, and this is just my own. I just find humor, and if you don't, that's on you, all right? If you just don't find it. But this is just amazing to me that from time unending, all of humanity, it is never our fault. Come on, somebody. Like it has never been, and it never will be our fault. He's like, the Lord is the one. Forget about all the perversion and the idols. Forget about the consequences of our sin. He's like, it was God who gave us to the Midianites. That was God. God did this to us. God, if you come and tell me all the things, forget it. it's never my fault for all the stupid things we've done. So Gideon's like, look, God created this problem for us. God is the one who did it. And then it says the Lord turns to him. Now, this is just another example of the great mercy of God. Because if this was me, I'd be like, you know what, Gideon? You're right. (laughs) You do stink. I'm not going to use you. In fact, I will not be using you today. I will be moving on to the next person. But God turns to him and God says, go with the strength that you have. And rescue Israel from the. In other words, he's saying, Gideon, you haven't seen the miracles. You haven't seen. You're saying, "Where is God?" Well, God is right here, telling you, "You are the answer for your generation." He's like, "You want to see God move? You're going to do it, Gideon. I'm going to move through you. The power of God's going to work, and you're going to set the children of Israel free. It's going to happen in your generation right now. This is the truth of God's word." And Gideon's like, "Where is God in all of this?" The angels like, "He's right here, telling you the truth of His word. Right here, He's telling you the truth." Go in the strength that you have. You're going to be the one that you're going to see the miracles. I want to move through you. And then watch Gideon one more time. Gideon's like Moses in this regard. Then Gideon replied, but Lord, he replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. You remember Manasseh is the half tribe. They're split across the river, right? So they're already split. And then he says, and in that split tribe, we're the weakest. So the worst of the worst. And then go to the bottom of that list. And that's my tribe. That's my clan. And then I am the least in my entire family. You see the lies of the devil at work in Gideon's life. Not like, Lord, I'm not that great, but maybe you can use my talents. Not like, okay, Lord, I did some things in the past and this is the thing. No, Gideon is like, I am the worst of the worst. You have picked the bottom of the totem pole. You have made a bad choice, God. How am I supposed to? You see the lies at work and we laugh at Gideon, but we do it in our own lives. We read the truth of God's word or someone speaks something into our life, saying, Hey, I see this, this calling on your life. Or, Hey, I see that you're really good at this. And we will always tear ourselves. We'll build everybody else up in our lives. How great they are and how good they can be and how God can do in their lives. And we'll never do it for ourselves. We'll go back in that thought about, Well, I am just so weak. And I just never could. And I never have. And I won't. He's saying, Go in the strength that you have. And I would just ask you, What strength do you have? Because whatever it is, it's more than enough in God's hands. Whatever strength he has equipped you with, however little you see it as, I'm the weakest of the weak, of the half-tribe, of the lowest of the low. God is saying, I'm going to move through you. God is saying, I can use you. That God is at work in him. That our verse we read, that his will for you is perfect and good and pleasing. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That God can use anyone for his glory and his kingdom. But we let the lies of the enemy take us out of the battle before we even start. Before we was, Gideon's like, look, I don't even understand. My reality doesn't say, Gideon, all these lies holding him captive. The Lord himself is saying, Gideon, you are blessed. You're going to be used. You are mighty. You're a hero. You're going to be set to set the children of Israel free. And Gideon's like, well, my reality doesn't say that. And my circumstances don't look like that. I don't know, angel, if you've been watching my life, but that's just not what it looks like. And the things I'm seeing aren't lining up with what you're saying. And so I just don't believe it. And we laugh at it because it sounds ridiculous and we do the same thing. Our reality isn't lining up with what we know the truth of God's word says. It's a picture of our lives. It's the devil at work. This is spiritual warfare. He comes to tell you, well, God would never love you and God could never use you. And you're just damaged goods and the things that happened to you just took you out years ago. And so you'll never be able to make a difference. And we let that impact our lives. And we never have a future because we never, ever break free of those lies. And the truth of God's word is staring us in the face. We have to identify the lies that we're embracing that are keeping us from the best that God has for us because our lives are being driven by our thoughts. So we said, back to our text in Corinthians, he says, we have these weapons that we fight with. And they're not like the weapons of the world. You have the weapons to win the sports warfare, but it's not tanks and guns. That's not what you need to win this battle. He says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That word strongholds in the Greek, it means a prisoner locked by deception. That's what it means. This idea of a prisoner not locked by walls or by gates or by keys, not locked by chains, locked by deception. You have been lied to and lied to and lied to. And the only thing that sets you free is the truth of God's word. It's not tanks and it's not guns. It's not the weapons of this world. He says, we wage war on these strongholds, these deceptions, this mindset that the devil has used to hold people hostage. And he goes on to say, so we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And so we know God is gracious, and God is loving, and God is forgiving, and God is good, and God wants to use us and rescue us. But we have these arguments. That word arguments, it's literally our reasons. It's our cases. We have set up our cases against why God couldn't be those things. We have brought our case and our argument because we have looked at our lives and said, well, this, this, and this. And so here is my argument. It says we demolish arguments with the truth of God's word. And all these things, we have set up pretensions. These high places that set themselves against the knowledge of God. Something we think is higher than his truth. We demolish. So how would that work? Once we recognize we're in a battle. And we recognize, okay, we have the weaponry to destroy all of this stuff. It's very simple. Then we take captive every thought. Take captive every thought. You you want to jot it down in your notes. second thing we do. So first we recognize we're in the battle for our thoughts. Second thing we do is we take captive every thought. Super basic points today. That I promise will revolutionize your life. You hear nothing else this year. Remember this, that we take captive every thought. We take it captive. Now I make no bones about the fact that I like to drive fast. All right, everybody, that's just something that I will admit in every scenario. And it has not bit me too hard yet, everybody. So I just keep on doing it. Because that is just something I, I enjoy getting from point A to point B as fast as I can possibly get. All right? And my family will tell you. I just enjoy driving fast. It's just something inside of me because I got to get to where I'm going and we got a gospel to preach. That's what my justification is. Come on, somebody. So we just got to drive. In fact, I don't know why we have speed limits other than the fact that all of you are very dangerous when you drive. And so we should – that's why we need them in our lives. But I like to – I think we should have a special license for those of us that can, like, prove that we can drive fast without endangering others. Come on, somebody. Anybody with me that we should be able to be, like, special license? This is what I can – I should have a a, a hall pass. I should be able to do that thing. So I like to drive fast. Now, Lord is at work in me. I am better than I was. So I still do drive fast, but I don't get as frustrated with the other people who are not driving fast. I still do. Again, you can, I'm not going to lie from this stage because my family will tell you first off that. I still get really frustrated sometimes with people who don't drive. Because like if you are sitting in the green light or you're sitting at any stoplight and you like want to turn left, And there's a couple of cars ahead of you You're over here at the thruway right here at Choctaw that that light that is turns green and it now has a red arrow, which they never should have put there. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But you're sitting in that light and it finally turns green and it's like a five minute light. So, you know, if you don't make it, it's going to happen. And we don't move. And that car that's at the front. Again, God is working at me. I used to be so much worse in college. I had road rage. Everybody not like road rage. You see today, because y'all are crazy. I don't even understand all of that. But it was bad. Like, I would get frustrated and shout. Like, I'm sitting there, and the arrow turns green. Why are we not moving? Like, go! Why is your reaction time 12 seconds? I don't understand. Like, what is this thing? And so I'm shouting and screaming and honking my heart and trying to get, like, we are not... Texting we are driving come on somebody like we are moving like nothing happened on Instagram in the last 39 seconds that you need to check nothing has occurred that will change your life let's go into the next thing I came down Greenville Springs on Monday and I saw the worst I'm coming down and there's a car next to me and this guy has his forearm propped on his on his steering wheel so he can hold his phone and his face is about an inch and a half away checking something and scrolling. it, And so I got my car as far away from him as I could possibly. But these things happen and I'm like sitting at the light. And I thought, and I don't know about you, but this is just my life. I thought, how would I fix this? How would I? And I used to get so... And I I used to think, like, I would sit in the light behind the people and I would think, like, what if I had a car that I didn't care about? Come on, somebody. Like, what if I... Like, what if I just didn't, like, what if I paid like 200 bucks for it? And like my name, maybe I kept my name off the title. And so then I didn't get it insured. So you can't trace it to me. And like, maybe, maybe I drive that thing around. And so when I get in the line, maybe I could just start ramming people that don't go when the light turns, <laughs> turns green. And maybe if I get stuck, I can just like get out of the car and run away and you can never trace it to me. Come on. Somebody, never Just a win-win all around situation. And before you think that I am insane, y'all are way more crazy than I am. Because your thoughts go in every different direction. All of us have intrusive thoughts. All of us have our thing. Here's the problem I would say to you. Here's the, just bring us back to center. All of us have those thoughts that happen all throughout. These intrusive things that try to enter into our thought stream. and try to make us think crazy things. And we think, by God in heaven, if they could just see what I was thinking, they would admit me for the rest of my life. I have gone insane. You're not insane. We have those intrusive thoughts. Listen, the problem is we let them out of the traffic lane. We let them out of those little bubbles of our lives. And we let them into every other area of our life that has consequence. We let those intrusive thoughts start to win when we think about our own lives and our relationships. And it'll be two o'clock in the morning and you're sitting on your couch thinking thoughts that you never ever would have thought of. And you don't recognize that you're in a battle for your mind. You just think, well, that's just the logical place that I got to with my thoughts. And if you've ever been in that spiral of depression or anxiety or fear, and you have let it attach itself to you, and you find yourself at the end of your rope, and you find yourself thinking these thoughts that you never, ever would have entertained. And we let them get out of control because we realize we don't even recognize that we're in a battle for control of our minds. These intrusive thoughts that have gotten into our minds We have those that have taken over and they run wild. And they change the way we see God and they change the way we see ourselves and they change the way we see the world and they lead us to destruction. And we let the thoughts take over. We let the lies take control and we let them run our lives. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. We got to take those thoughts captive. We got to be aggressive about it. We don't even know we're in a battle. I have told you you are in a battle. We don't know what we're supposed to do. Second, like we have to take every thought captive. We got to be aggressive. Here's what First Peter says. Be alert and of sober mind. The word alert, it means to... Honestly, the word alert, it means to be aware. That's the closest thing to it. It means to be like on guard. It means to be responsive, to be ready. And then sober mind means to be self-controlled. Like not allowing it to take control. You're self-controlled. Not allowing myself to be like caught up in this thing. So I'm aware. I'm aware of the battle that's happening for my mind and then I'm self-controlled. I'm not going to be caught up in it because check it out. Caught up in the stream of what everybody else is thinking. Because listen to me, the world has lost its mind. I don't know if you recognize that. Like it has completely lost its mind. And so you choosing to not participate is the greatest thing that you can do. If they're going to lose their minds, I'm not going to participate and lose my mind. Literally this word in the Greek, sober mind, it's telling you, that it means what caught up in the stream of what everybody else is thinking. You're not going to be caught in that. You're not going to participate. I'm going to be alert to know the deception I'll be self-aware. Why? Because I know that the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. That word devour literally means to drink the blood, to drink the life of, to devour, to destroy. He's in this to kill, steal and destroy. This isn't like funny little guy with horns and a pitchfork hiding behind the couch and trying to sneak you and say boo. He wants to destroy your life. To destroy your family, to destroy your kids, to destroy your spouse, to destroy your relationships, to destroy your thoughts. He wants to kill, steal, to devour. This is not like playing games. This is out to destroy your life. And we got to take every thought captive. Every thought captive. But then once I do that, I can't just like stare blankly off into space. Then the verse goes on to say we take every thought captive, back to our text, and make it obedient to Christ. So number three, we take thoughts captive and we make them obedient. Every thought. Obedient to Christ. You know what Christ is? Bible John 1, 1. It says in the word, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. and The word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus. We make every thought obedient to Christ. The word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. It's the word of God That the Bible that's spoken from the very beginning, the foundations of the word foundations of this world, that it would be Jesus. We make every thought obedient to the word of God. Every thought obedient to the Bible that dwelt among us. If I'm going to take every thought captive, I have to match every thought to the truth of God's word. I'm not just taking it captive. I'm making it obedient to Christ. That the word of God is the highest truth. And John, it says, your word is truth. That word in the Greek, it's aletheia. Means the highest reality. So above what we see and above what we feel, it says it's the highest reality is your word. And I think for some of us, we have put it at the bottom rung of the ladder. That we will match what we see against all of the things in our lives. We will match it against the natural. We will match it against our own intellect before we ever try to match it against God's word. And he says, your word is the highest reality. So listen to me, church. I'm not going to be moved by what I see and I'm not going to be moved by what I feel. I'm going to be moved by what I believe. We have to have that reality that his word is the highest truth. And so, when we take thought captive, the foundation of God's word, when the devil tries to get in you, he tries to cap- capture you in these crazy thoughts. He tries to tell you, well, you'll never be good enough. Or you'll never escape the hurt that you experienced. Or you'll never be able to overcome the circumstance that you went through. Or you'll never be the father or the mother that God has called you to be for your kids, so just give up. Or you'll never be able to have an impact on the world around you. When he comes with those lies, you match it against the truth of God's word. When he comes to try to lie to you and say, well, you'll never make a difference. Everybody else is just better than you are. And the devil tries to lie to you and say, well, you'll never be as good as they are. Or you'll never be. So you might as well just give up. You'll never have an impact. In fact, your generation is lost already and you'll never be able to make a difference. And the nation is gone and the civilization is going to pot. And you'll never be able to become anything. All of that is just, it's over for you. In fact, you are going to die alone you got to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and say, no, no, my Bible says that I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. My God always causes me to triumph and the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of me. And so I'm going to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. you got to begin to see the truth of God's word. It's as simple as I can make. This isn't like you got to go find, you know, travel to some mountain in Tibet and find a tablet and find that truth. And that's what's going to give you the truth. No, it's in his word, the truth of God's word. But you got to get it inside of you. That in those circumstances, when those intrusive thoughts try to rise up and try to choke the life out of your life, you got to say, no, I'm going to replace it with God's word. You watch the temptation of Jesus. When the devil tries to use it, he responds with God's word. Jesus, the son of God takes those thoughts captive and responds with the word. He was the word made flesh. And if we're going to follow his example, we're going to replace every lie with the truth of God's word. And if you can't think of one, man, that's why God has put us in family. It's why we're in small groups. It's why we're in church together. It's why we have these. We're running this race. You find somebody else and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. What's a verse that I can claim and stand on? What has God said about my life? It's why we're together. I think we're too embarrassed to be like, well, I just don't know which chapter or which verse. And so I just can't claim whatever. Ask somebody. And if they don't know, they'll ask somebody. If I don't know, I'll find somebody. We're going to find the verse. What God says about your life trumps every other thing about your life. What he says in his word. He stands and says, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Gideon, who's hiding. Gideon, who's away. I know the circumstances don't line up, but here's the truth of God's word. You got to begin to claim that in your life. Claim that in your life. Hebrews chapter 4, it says it this way. The word of God is alive and active. It's alive. Alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I need God's word purifying my thoughts. I need his word purifying the things that I'm thinking because my life is following the course of my thoughts. We got to get his word. We got to recognize we're in a battle. But we got to get His Word purifying our thought life. So I'm not like Gideon hiding in the corner thinking God doesn't love me and God could never think of me and God could never use me and I'll never. our generation will never... Be. I'm not sitting in the corner thinking, no, I'm out there thinking, okay, the Word of God says that we are sons and daughters of the King, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that God has chosen us, that God has a purpose for us, that we are building His kingdom and He will never leave us or forsake us, that we are born on purpose and for a purpose. you are called, that God has something for us. The Bible says, if we'll do this, chapter 4, Philippians, it says then the peace of God, that peace that is so elusive, that thing that you want for your family and for your lives, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, if you want to put this into practice, guarding your thoughts, replacing the lies with the truth, therefore, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Listen to me, a lot of times in life as God leads us, we don't have all of the answers. And I promise you the devil would love to fill in the gaps. Would love to fill in, you don't know what this is, let me just tell you why that happened. You don't know why you walk through. Let me just let me just help you and tell you why you did it. He would love to fill in the gap with lies. We got to replace those with the truth of God's word that no, we don't understand everything. But we do know the God who holds everything, that his power is at work in our lives and it's stronger. In any circumstance, any pain, anything we would have to walk through. But the devil would love to give us the lies, and we self sabotage by falling into the trap. One, by not even recognizing we're in a battle. But then, two, once we do, not taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. Because listen, today, your life is moving in the direction of your thoughts. The course of your life is being driven by it. You know what you've been thinking. You know what's been taken over. You know the lies that you've given into. We've got to begin to take them captive, but not just captive. We've got to begin to make them obedient to God's word, replace them with the truth of Christ. It's time to think about what we think about. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. I just want to pray that God would help us to have a fresh perspective. And maybe you've been caught in the lies of your thought. Maybe you've let them run your life. Maybe you let them take them as far as thoughts could possibly take you. Maybe they've taken you to the brink. And you're just now beginning to realize it's a lie of the devil trying to destroy your life. Because he is a defeated foe. He has no power over you. And he just tries to lie so that you will take that of yourself. So maybe right now you're recognizing that you're in a battle. I want to pray God would give us a new perspective. Before we pray that though, I wonder how many of you are here. And for whatever reason, you're far from God. And if you are in that place, I would say it's probably because of one of these reasons. That something happened, a circumstance A person, a lie that came in that tried to tell you, well, God could never love a person like you. A lie that tried to tell you, well, God could never use a person like you. A lie that tried to tell you, well, you know, the church just out for your money and the leadership just can't be trusted. And this thing just can't happen. And so you can't trust anything, what anybody says. Or that coach or that teacher or that pastor that hurts you. A lie that came in to try to say, well, that's just God abandoning you or betraying you. A lie that tried to tell you that you're no good. And you find yourself as far from him as you've ever been. Listen, you need to begin to replace those lies with the truth of God's word, starting with this one, that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. Starting with this one, that God wants you. That he loves you. That as easy as it is for you to believe, well, he loves everybody else, but not me. No, no, he loves you. And he wants you. He died for you. He wants to rescue you. And the lie of the enemy will try to come in every time and it will try to say, well, if I had to walk through that, well, God can't be loving if that's circumstance or that thing. No, listen to me. We live in a fallen world full of the sins of people and a very real devil that all contribute to the pain that we have experienced in this life. But I promise you, the only way to be rescued and the only way to be healed is by believing in Jesus Christ. That he has promised he will make you brand new. That he will lift you up. And he didn't promise that we wouldn't go through adversity. That we wouldn't walk through crisis or circumstance. But he did promise that he would be with us in the middle of it. Walking right alongside of us. Holding us up in our worst moments. That he would never leave us or forsake us. He did promise that. So for some of you, that's what God wants to do in your life today. He wants to make you brand new. He wants to rescue you. And all begins with a decision. I told you right now, you have a moment. It is my heart to help you in every way that I can to just explain to you the gospel. That while we were lost in our sins, God himself came for us. He didn't send an angel and he didn't send an emissary and he didn't send, you know, just whoever. God himself came for us. It says that Jesus lived and he died on a cross to forgive us of our sins, but he didn't stay dead father rose him from the dead three days later that anyone could call on the name of jesus and be saved that includes you that includes me so right now you say i want to make that decision and for the first time it's clear that god loves you and that he wants to rescue you but you have to make that decision right now i'm not going to make you come to the front I'm not going to make you raise your hand I'm not in this to embarrass you right now is a moment for you to make a decision I can give you the words. Our church has dedicated ourselves to pray this with every person who wants to pray it. So, if that's you, you, say, Hey, I want to make that decision right now. I want to make that. I want my eternity secure. I want Him to rescue me, make me brand new. Pray these words, church. No one prays it alone. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin, all my mistakes. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person here. God, we thank you like Romans says, that your will for us is good and pleasing and perfect. And so today we take authority over every thought and we take it captive in the name of Jesus. We make it obedient to Christ. Every intrusive thought that tries to lie that says we're not good enough, that says we can't, that says we're not called, that says that God doesn't love us. Every lie we take captive in the name of Jesus. And we make it obedient to your word. We make it obedient to the word of God that says you do love us. That we will not be held hostage by the lie anymore. We make it obedient to the word of God that says you are with us. That says you do hold us in the palm of your hand. That says we are chosen by you. That says we are the children of God. And so every lie of the enemy that tries to set itself up against the nature and the calling and the truth of God's word, we take captive and make it obedient to Christ that you have defeated the devil at at the cross of Calvary, that he is a defeated foe, has no power over us and we stand in the truth of God's word. We thank you for your truth that it is the highest reality, that we won't be moved by what we see and we won't be moved by the things that we feel and we won't be moved by emotions or the lies of the enemy. We are moved by what we believe. That our God is with us. That you do truly love us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on church, can we give God praise for what he's done today?